All right, Andrew Hagar is my guest today. He is a singer, songwriter, and guitarist, and former underground MMA fighter and trainer. He's now focused mostly on his music. He has a new single out called Systematic Minds, and more is going to be released along with some live shows lined up. So this was a really fun chat. I previously met his brother Aaron, and he was a really cool dude and had great stories, and Andrew was the same. Just a cool dude with and easy to chat with. You guys are going to love this. Stick around. Oh yeah, so yeah, the jujitsu ju- and stuff. So the celebrity. So did you ever come across Rogan then? Because he's really into that. And he's into that world. Yeah. We okay. So back in the day, especially, there was definitely like a uh, like a ganged up squad mentality to Brazilian jujitsu, um, especially because like the sport really didn't start exploding until like the mid to late two thousands. Like after the Ultimate Fighter had already done that and like kind of started to gain some popularity on spike tv and stuff and then obviously now you know the ufc is like a staple on espn but um it wasn't always like that and when i was coming up in the sport there was a uh like very tribal mentality to all the different gyms and all the different jujitsu schools um a lot of the jujitsu guys who came over from brazil brought with them like a kind of weird beef like um so yeah I didn't train at 10th planet, which was where Rogan was training. I knew some of the guys there. I've like met a lot of those guys and have subsequently trained with a lot of them now that, you know, the, the community is a little closer together, but I never encountered Rogan. And it's funny. Cause like one of my best friends and training partners coming up was really good friends with him. And he would come train, stand up with me and do MMA at the school that we trained at. And then he would go train jujitsu specifically at 10th planet with, um, with Rogan and Eddie Bravo and all those guys. So I was like one degree away and I never met him. And it's a shame. Cause like he's, I mean, obviously he's been under fire a lot in the media, but I think he's a really interesting guy. Like again, one of these people that's like kind of a classic Renaissance man and does so many interesting things. And I would love to just have a conversation with him, you know, not even on a podcast about, you know, just his path, you know? Oh yeah. I find it fascinating. I love his podcast. I mean, I don't listen to every episode, but some of them, I mean, cause he has such interesting guests, like exactly. he has these scientists and doctors and then also comedians and sometimes musicians. And, uh, what yeah. was the, I just listened to like the Polly Shore one. That was really interesting. Oh, yeah. I did yeah. tune in on that one too. Cause, uh, being a, you know, like somewhat of a nineties kid, like, yeah, I grew up on Polly Shore movies and it was really interesting to, to hear what he had to say about the same thing. Like that's a guy that's accomplished so much that kind of just the world forgot. And now he's finding, you know, more relevancy through like jam in the van and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I like a lot of his guests and again, people pile on a lot of criticism to that guy, especially over the whole, you know, whatever shall not be named thing. But, um, but you know, just in general, I do find a lot of his guests incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Well, I feel like the people that don't like him, don't listen to him on the show because he gets this (laughs) reputation. He's this like, he's this like alt right wing guy and he he'll tell you on the podcast he's like i've never voted republican he's like exactly. i'm liberal and so that's, that's why it's so funny that people are like oh he's he's right wing i don't like him I'm like he's actually not right wing and but no. yeah anyways. it's just people you know listening to the media and formulating an opinion based on someone else's opinion as opposed to actually taking the time to look at what's being said and formulate their own opinion and that's a massive problem in the world today in general 
that's a problem I've had to deal with too. There's plenty of people who love me without ever knowing anything about me or my music and plenty of people that hate me without knowing anything about me and my music. And both of those kinds of people are all up in my DMs on social media and it kills me. So. Wow. So wait, why did I understand why people would like it? Cause it's like, they want to get into that world or whatever, but why would people hate you? Oh, because of the whole Van Halen feud. I mean, I have people who are massive Dave Lee Roth fans or people who think that, you know, my father ruined Van Halen that just direct all that ire towards me. Like I've blocked a lot of those people now, so it's not as bad as it used to be. But for a long time, I would get crazy messages every day, many messages every day, usually going into my, you know, whatever that other folder is and Instagram for people you don't follow or people that don't follow you. But yeah, it's just uh, it blows my mind that people have that kind of time and want to spend that kind of emotional energy just trying to completely eviscerate a stranger who may or may not ever see what they're saying. It's, it's just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I get a little bit of trolling here and there. Most people just yeah. don't give a shit what I do. But yeah. so I can't imagine to be in your shoes and you can't help who your family is. So it's like. Exactly. That's what I don't understand. Why would they blame you? I mean, that has nothing to do with you. That's really nothing strange. to do with me. But that's what I'm saying. People in general, I just don't know that a lot of these folks who interact on social media have much better to do with their time and they spend it being overwhelmingly negative. And it's unfortunate. You know, it's like I, I people get mad at stuff like that. Like my friend Trev Lukather deals with a little bit of that, too. Like there's people that hate on him for, you know, reasons unbeknownst to him that have nothing to do with him. and. You know, it's like one of these things where you can waste your own emotional energy getting mad at those people. But it's like, I just feel sorry for them. You know, it's like, again, like, I hope you get a hobby or something that like makes you happy so you don't have to do this, you know? Yeah. Do you ever respond to them or you just block and ignore? No, I just usually block and ignore. I mean, unless somebody takes the time to put together an actually well thought out, like constructive form of criticism. Like I see that a little bit on my YouTube. Like I get you know, I don't post much. I only post really videos and lyric videos and stuff. But, um, you know, there's always someone in the comments section that has like something really stupid to say. But then there's the people who have something negative to say, but it's like well thought out and constructive. And I'm like, okay, well, those are the kinds of people I will respond to. Because again, your haters are just secretly your biggest fans, right? They're people that are watching your every move and they're one interact away from actually becoming a fan. So, right. Yeah. There's a thin line between love and hate. There's the yes. opposite of uh, love and hate is not, you know, it's not love and hate. It's like love and hate's a thin line. The opposite of both is apathy, like where you just yes. don't care. Exactly. So, that's right. on that. <laughs> and there's a lot of that. A lot of people don't don't give a flying you know, F about me, which is fine. <laughs> I like that, too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's an opportunity to maybe do something to make them start caring. You know what I mean? It's an easier battle than taking someone who really hates you sometimes. Because again, that's just, it's all misconstrued. I'd rather yeah. work from zero than negative numbers. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah. I've watched some of this stuff on, on YouTube. Uh, yeah. You only had like four videos or something though. I think, I don't think you have a, do you have a video yet for uh, the new singles? Systematic Minds. The I have minds? A, a lyric video, you know, a visualizer, okay. like um, one of the things about the modern day music industry is again, like it's very expensive to make a video and there's pretty much no return on it. Like, um, a lot of publications too that you would use to get maybe a little bit more traction, but in my experience, they don't even really help much. Like if you spend whatever, 10, 15, 20, some people spend a hundred thousand dollars on a music video, which just blows my mind. And then, you know, they get a write up in some, let's say Rolling Stone, 
And it's like, you might get an extra couple thousand views off that and that's it. It really doesn't move the needle in any meaningful way. And there's really no return unless you already have a big YouTube and you're monetizing the videos on YouTube, which again, I haven't really done much on YouTube. I've released a few music videos uh, for my previous projects that weren't self-titled um, and they're on different YouTube channels. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's not really worth it these days. The next release will have a proper music video just because it's something a bit more substantial, but I'm not going to like, you know, blow a ton of money on that for, like I said, zero return. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, because I see so many bands with music videos that are perfect. I mean, they look to me to be professionally shot. Yep. And I'm wondering, are they going in debt making that video? Or is it a thing where like people help out? Like, I know like some of the bands that I love from the 80s and stuff are on like Frontier Records, which is a oh, smaller man. label, but yeah. they make good videos. And so, I mean, it, to me, it looks professional. I'm like, I wonder, are they making money off this? Are they losing money? I don't know. Well, I mean, a lot of times when you're working with a label too, they're giving you money to make a music video. And then the label also will have, you know, connections sometimes to different directors, different editors and stuff. And they'll put it all together themselves and bankroll it. And then that's a recoupable cost for you. So when you go on tour and you're making money, they're basically garnishing your wages that you would make on tour because you have a recoupable cost. And a lot of that stuff is contractual. I'm sure you and everybody else has heard about like 360 deals where they're taking a small or sometimes very large piece of everything you do, including your own merch that might exist outside of the label scope. Um, and there's a lot of stuff right now in the industry that is just incredibly predatory. That's why I haven't signed a deal yet. I've had a bunch of different record deals, especially when I was doing the more folk and Americana project stuff. And, you know, I had some like sync deals on deck through labels and other things, but they wanted pretty much all of my publishing and they weren't willing to give me any meaningful traction. It's like, again, like at this point, I think it would be better to do just something like a distribution deal where I could get out to like bigger channels and, you know, get on maybe some some more efficacious playlists and stuff like that, just be put in front of more people. But uh, it's very challenging right now for an independent artist and especially for people that write their own music and aren't doing just whatever kind of copycat trend chasing stuff. Cause that really seems to be all the labels want to mess with right now, especially people that are developing on TikTok. Like I haven't taken a lot of time to actually carve out a niche on TikTok, and that's to my own, you know, misfortune. Like, pretty much all the labels I've talked to all they want is just to see traction on TikTok because that's one of the only things out there that's actually going to provide like a one-to-one -one, you know upgrade to the rest of your stuff like people on Instagram you know I have whatever I think 20 over 22,000 legit followers that I've never paid for or boosted or whatever on Instagram and when I make a post about my music or anything that links off of the platform I'm lucky if five percent of my user base sees it and that's just a huge problem with social media in general right now is everyone's trying to get you to stay on the platform, consume their content. If you're an artist or any type of creator that's got things off the platform, the only one that really doesn't completely crush your natural engagement is TikTok. But TikTok's a different animal, you know, especially for people like me that don't really want to share that much of their personal life, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's a little more difficult to make content for that every day. Yeah, well, but you can post the you can post clips of the song, or can you? Like, could you post a full song? I guess. I mean, yeah, I think they they recently expanded their videos to include longer form stuff. Not really long, but long enough for a song. But again, I've seen the same problem on TikTok. Like I said, I don't have a huge following on TikTok. 
But when I, you know, do a, whatever I do with another video or like take another video and make some content with that, like that does infinitely better than when I post something to, you know, to my music again, like it seems like TikTok is kind of squashing the engagement on music based stuff, which is interesting because I don't see that happening for every artist on there. But again, I'm not super fluent in TikTok and the algorithm on there. Not that I'm fluent on Instagram, but I'm just, you know, more used to it, I guess, and understanding yeah. how it works. I liked Instagram too. And then it seemed, you're right though. It's like the same thing where you post something and my posts like went down. Like, but like I would post something before it get, you know, like yeah. not a lot for me, but like, if I got like a hundred likes, that was a lot. And now it's like, uh, there's a lot of times I'll post something to get like 20 likes. I'm like, what is going on? And then sometimes yeah. you post the same thing on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Like I'll post a clip of my podcast mm-hmm. and sometimes it'll blow up on YouTube, YouTube and sometimes TikTok. Rarely does it blow up on Instagram though. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think what happened recently with Meta, the fact that they started allowing people to like pay for verification badges. Yeah. Services that are starting to come with that too. Like I I got my check mark before all that started happening, but I looked into what they were kind of trying to push because I was just interested based on what happened with Twitter. Like on Twitter, it was a completely unmitigated disaster. And people were like posing as real people buying a blue check, which was very easy to get, and then using it to kind of, you know, dismantle whatever it was this other real person or account was trying to build. And I was just like, oh, man, this is probably going to be the same thing on Instagram. Thankfully, it doesn't seem like that started yet. But I have seen with their like their business suite of the accounts you can you can purchase the blue check for they offer like expanded engagement and support team response and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like I get like a ton of fake accounts every week that are trying to be me or someone in my family, which blows me away because it's like, who the hell am I? Like, why the hell are you going to pose as me? Like, what, what, and solicit, try to solicit people for nudes or for money? Or like, what the hell is that? That's crazy. But um, I deal with that all the time and support never does anything. I have, you know, I always blow it out on my story and have multiple people report the account. You know, tons of people are reporting it, but then the, the support team doesn't do anything about it. And these accounts don't get banned. So I guess buying into this new program they're doing is supposed to like, you know, make your, your support requests more visible, I guess, which Mm. if that's true, maybe that's the move. I don't know, but the way it stands now, it's basically just an ad driven attention economy. So like, if you want to get more attention on your stuff and you want your normal natural engagement, you now have to essentially boost the post and pay them for it. And they make the, all the ad tools, very unnecessarily obtuse. Like I used to do marketing for a living and data analytics. So I'm very familiar with all this stuff. And I can't, I couldn't tell you the click through rate on one of my ads if I wanted to. And that's arguably one of the most important pieces of data, but they make it so difficult to get that information. It just blows me away. Like how many people are actually clicking on the link with the ad? Like if you do an ad for a song, Hey, download this new single. You can't tell how many people actually click the link to download the song. It's it's more difficult to get that information than it needs to be. Like I would have to go into Facebook and go through several layers of, you know, analytics, several different pages. It's like that should be the thing they're displaying right at the front at the top, because that's the most important thing is the conversion, right? Like when you're talking about any kind of sales funnel. So again, we're getting into like the nitty-gritty of whatever. I find it fascinating though, because I (laughs) I I deal with the same thing with the podcast. It's like I'm trying to promote a podcast and stand out every 
Harry, Dick and Jane has a freaking podcast. So it's like, how do you stand out? And so, yeah, I used to, I don't even really do that stuff anymore. I used to, when I first started though, I would, I would boost posts on um, more on Facebook, a little bit on Instagram. I was like, I don't think this is helping. I don't think this is doing anything. Like maybe, maybe I'm getting more Facebook followers or whatever, but it's like, I don't think it really means anything because then when you post something, like you said, you're lucky if 5% of your followers even see it. Oh yeah. Let alone like, like it or comment and interact with it. So I'm like, I'm just going to focus on making content and hopefully people will find it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's pretty much all you can do these days is just do your best to be authentic and present something that means something to you and hope other people see it and it moves them. You know, yeah. that's, I don't know. I mean, you see a lot of up and coming artists that are with labels or have development deals too, that have like, you know, excessively large followings, but then you look at their actual numbers and it's like, if you have 50,000 followers and you're making a post and it's getting like four comments, like that's, it's pretty easy to see Suspicious. what's there. Yeah. There's, there's so, so much like smoke and mirror action going on in the music industry and in the greater entertainment industry right now. It's very difficult for someone that's not literate like that to see what's real and what's not. But again, that's, probably just an extension of how it's always been whether we're talking about like you know pay to play like clear channel stuff or you know even like the history of like buy on tours you know and how a lot of bands that are being pushed by labels you basically just have to fake it till you make it and they're spending an excessive amount of money making these guys look a lot more popular than they actually are and that stuff still goes on very clearly all the time so it's it's a battle for attention and like yeah. you know people that look cooler are clearly going to get more attention i guess especially the way that our social media algorithms kind of you know um the the, the behavior is just predicated on people that generate more attention i guess yeah so. well i do think some of that stuff can help get you noticed but i feel mm -hmm. like it doesn't have a lot of staying power like if you Absolutely. buy a tour it's like okay everyone knows your name for that tour but unless you do that every tour, which I think is yeah. kind of expensive, like eventually people forget about you if you didn't make an impression, which I, if usually if you're buying on, it seems to me a lot of those bands, mm -hmm. they did, they weren't good enough to get the spot. They're not that great. They don't have the staying power. Right. Exactly. And you see that a lot with what's happening with TikTok based music and stuff too. Like there's plenty of artists who broke via TikTok that have one or two big singles because it was popular on TikTok, And then the rest of their catalog is just, you know, DOA. So it's interesting. I, it, for an independent artist, it's difficult to know kind of what to focus on. And I think really the only answer is just to authentically be yourself, present yourself the way that you are, make music that's meaningful to you. And if other people, you know, invest their time and emotional energy into checking it out, that's great. If not, well, at least you did something that matters to you because that's really all it counts, you know? Yeah. Well, I think too, like doing podcasts and, um, and doing some, do it like just working hard, like doing shows. Like I know I talked to so many musicians who they don't tour or they don't do yeah. shows. Like they'll put out an album and they'll want to come on my podcast and talk about it. And then I'm like, okay, so like, are, are you doing a tour? Are you doing show? Well, we yeah. got like one show. It's like, what? Like you got to get out there and promote it like podcasts, but also like shows you got to go to towns and like, you know, play yeah. small venues and make fans of the people. I think in real life, I think that in some ways works better than social media, like actually meeting people face to face. They're going to remember it. I completely agree. But again, that comes back to, to costs. Like if you have a label or an independent investor 
that's helping you with all these costs, it's more expensive to tour now than it's ever been before. And for independent artists that aren't making money via Spotify or aren't making money off of a sync deal, it's like you have to be pretty much independently wealthy to go do this, or you have to be, you know, it's like one thing is a solo artist. If you're in a band with like four people, you're all sharing publishing on songs, you're young, you don't have a lot of other things going on in your life. Yeah, everybody can, you know, cram in the station wagon and go out and just hit the road and live on, you know, ramen and, you know, <laughs> do- dollar store vegetables. You know what I mean? Like, it's like <laughs> that stuff works. Certainly. Yeah. And I do think that there's something to be said for going out and promoting the music the old fashioned way and just hitting the road, you know, pounding the streets like that's great. I love that. But again, it's very cost prohibitive these days, even gas, whether we're talking about plane tickets like, oh, you want to do an East Coast tour? You live in California. Cool. You either schlep your gear all the way across America in a van, which is not easy. It's not glamorous, you know, or you fly out there, you rent instruments, you rent a van, you do all this stuff. It's just everything adds up. And without a label providing tour support, it can be really, really difficult for some of these smaller bands to do any meaningful tours outside of like their immediate area, you know, and that's probably why you don't see more people you know, playing more meaningful stuff than just like one or two off tours and shows. Like, it's just really hard now, you know, it's very difficult. What about if you, if you team up with other bands that are, you know, in a similar situation, like if, if you got like three or four or five of you guys together, I mean, you're saying like piling the station wagon with a, with a band, but what if it's like five bands, does that make it even a little bit more uh, cost effective? I mean, if let's say, let's just, Posit something. So let's say me and two other bands, that's what, maybe generally four, eight, 12 people, plus, you know, a driver, some sort of tour manager, production guy, a guy can do it all. You know, that's at that stage, you kind of need a tour manager who also is going to, you know, be working sound or front of house, who's going to be, you know, going to talk to the promoter after the show to get you money and all that stuff. Like you can certainly do it all yourself, but it's very difficult when you're out there. I've, I've been in those situations before. But let's say you got 12 people. It's like you're going to you're going to rent like a massive sprinter van, have all 12 people cram inside, get a, you know, get a trailer like tour with everybody using the same equipment. You can certainly do that. But again, like it's going to be really difficult unless your merch game is incredible to even break even on that tour just by the kinds of guarantees you're going to get from promoters especially at that level. It's just, again, like I don't think a lot of people really understand and realize how difficult it is to tour. And the, the more you're stretching it, the more difficult it is for the bands, which again, touring's not easy no matter what. Even if you're in a tour bus, it's still very challenging to get up there and, and do you know the best you can every night. If you're not sleeping, if your nutrition's not good, people do it. And it's great. And like, I've been there as well. Like I've, you know, I've toured in a bus, I've toured in a van, I've toured in my friggin' Subaru, you know, it's like, I was playing whatever, over a hundred shows a year for years before the pandemic. And since then, the costs have only gone up, the barriers to entry have only gone up, the spots that are available have shrunk. It's just, uh, it's a very different animal than I think a lot of people realize. And that's why maybe some of your favorite independent artists don't get out and tour much, you know? No, it makes sense. You're right. I mean, it is, it is very difficult. I know another thing that some people do is they'll just do like a, a acoustic tour, yeah. just like them with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. I was playing uh whatever a hundred shows a year with either just me 
acoustic guitar, harmonica, sometimes a tambourine on my foot. And then I started bringing out a guitar player with me and we would do duo acoustic stuff. And that wasn't the style of music. You know, I did like kind of a folk rock EP. It was like a psychedelic folk rock EP, the SOS EP. And uh, I had my buddy Scott come out with me to tour that. And it's like, we didn't write the songs acoustically, you know, to be performed acoustically. But again, I couldn't afford to put a band together, pay them, and then go out on tour and and have all of that stuff. So I took what I could get, which meant me and Scott were driving around in my Subaru going to different shows and stuff. And we took it all the way from, you know, Northern California to the, the bottom end of the Gulf of Mexico and stuff to play festivals. And I mean, we've, you know, I put a lot of miles on my own car just trying to get it done. But uh, again, like, thankfully, I had a merch company at the time and we were selling shirts. And so I was able to make a little bit of money on top of what we were doing. But all of that was by keeping our costs down, just doing a two person acoustic show. I didn't need to bring a front of house guy. You know, we were going to collect after the show ourselves and dealing with all that stuff ourselves. We didn't have a tour manager. We didn't have a production manager. We didn't have anything. So, you know, it's it's a. it's it's a different kind of thing than a lot of people expect. It's not glamorous at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's crazy. I just saw uh, I just went to a show and I drove to Vegas because uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Ugly Kid Joe. They were like that 90s yeah. band, you know, and they had Fozzie with them, which is like yep. Chris Jericho and then Pistols at Dawn open. So it's three bands and the tickets were like 20 bucks, which was insanely cheap to me. Yeah. But I bought a hat, a T-shirt and a poster and there a lot. Of movies. So I think I helped out. I think I did my you part. Did. That's yeah. meaningful. And that's what I'm saying. If you really want to support an artist, like, yeah, go to their band camp, go to their show and get some merch, like do things that are going to actually put a little bit of money in their pocket. So, you know, whether they're they're getting some lunch at Lowe's or something, you know what I mean? Like or loves, you know, like something, some truck stop somewhere, like it all makes a difference when you're actually putting money into the band's pocket. Like going and streaming their song on Spotify is great too, obviously, because that's a bigger part of the whole you know, interaction, but that's not going to really do it for an artist. You know, if I get whatever, a hundred thousand streams, it's like, I'm lucky to make whatever a thousand bucks. If that I'd probably make five, 600 bucks off that, which is seemingly a lot more than most people are getting these days, like stream wise, but money wise, it's like, I couldn't even pay my rent, you know? Uh, but then again, I live in California, so maybe that's my bed. <laughs> yeah, that's the most expensive place in the world, maybe New York, L- London. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it seems like bands have to get more creative these days. I mean, it's not like back in the 80s and 90s. It was like you put out an album, you tour, you sell some T-shirts, and it was just every band did that. Now you're yeah. seeing like bands coming out with like uh coffee and hot sauce and like meet yeah. and greets and like doing TV shows and like all this crazy stuff. Cause you kind of have to, and some also musicians are just, they're in like 30 bands. That's another thing yep. that you got. Okay. Yep. Well, I can't, this one band ain't going to pay the bills. So I got to be in all these other projects and cover bands and tribute bands and side projects and guest appearances. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's challenging. But like at the end of the day, the thing that should be the most important when we're talking about music is the music. And you know, this has been something that's stuck with me for a long time, even in the, the days of MTV, it's like the music was important, but they were starting to make people into like larger than life personalities. And those are the kinds of people that get over, they get pushed by labels and pushed by what are now like the legacy media organizations and whatnot. And again, like everything you're talking about is cool. Like that's great if people have, you know, different outside the box merch and people have TV shows. That's, that's really interesting. 
But at the end of the day, they're musicians. Shouldn't they just get out and play the music? You know? Yeah, it's just so competitive. Yeah, it's, it's so, so like, how do you, because you know, it used to be the, the record labels, not everybody could have an album and stuff. So the record labels got to pick and choose. Well, we think this guy's the best. So we're giving him a deal and all. And now yeah. I think the advantage is, is that anybody can get a deal, which in a way is good because there's a lot of artists that are really talented. I would maybe wouldn't have. What's it's that? Harder, yeah, I said, I would disagree with you. It's harder to get a deal than ever. And a lot of times the people who are getting well, anybody deals, can no, not sorry, sorry, not get a deal, no. but anybody can put out music. Right? Oh, sure. Anybody can just upload to Spotify. And so if it's really good, maybe it takes off. Whereas before you pretty much had to have a record label to get yeah. noticed. Yeah, definitely. And now it's, it's again, I think you still kind of have to have some sort of advantage, whether it's a label or being massively independently wealthy and being able to put a ton of money behind internet marketing to get noticed. Like people think that a lot of these people that are blowing up on social media, that it's happening by accident, but it's not, it's very strategic. And again, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors that goes into it. They're, you know, they're boosting, they're using third party software. Some of them are like black hatting to make it look like they have more engagement, more followers than they actually do. Like what's, this, wait, what's black hatting? Well, uh, it's, you can go to like a third party site on the internet to essentially have people like a lot of labels do this. People don't know about this stuff, but there's a lot of labels that will get phone farms to juice up major artist streams. So like, let's say someone I'm just, again, I'm not saying she did this. I'm just using this as an example. Let's say someone big like Beyonce or an emerging artist like the kid Leroy is acquired by a label and they get a distribution deal and they say, okay, we're going to guarantee you a certain amount of streams, a certain amount of traction. There's really no way even using their natural reach to guarantee that you're going to get a certain number. So what they do is they pay a third party individual, third party site to go in and use a VPN to get streams so they can guarantee a certain number of streams for this person so they don't lose out on all this money from a digital distribution deal or from a sync deal. Or let's say you want to blow somebody up and make it look like they have a huge following. They've been doing this for years, and it's very similar to what they used to do in the days of radio, where they would pay for spins on radio stations so that they could chart, and then people would make money. It's just, it, it's a tale as old as time in the entertainment industry, but this stuff happens more than people realize. And a lot of your favorite massive artists, probably anywhere between 30 and 50% of their streams are completely washed. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. I do remember seeing some clip of some rapper. I don't know who it was, but yeah, they, he was showing, yeah. they had all these phones like lined up, plugged in, yeah. streaming the song on repeat. I was like, that's yeah. so dirty. Like, but yeah, yeah you're right. It's going, on, going on forever. Check it out. This is something that they can do as well. Like, say you're getting ready to go on tour in Europe and you don't have much of a fan base. Say you're going to somewhere like Stockholm, Sweden. You use a VPN to source all of those things, all of those little phones that are on a Spotify family plan. You make it look like they're in the same household in Sweden. You put your song on a playlist with other artists who you want to be mentioned in the same kind of uh, keyword searches with. And then you can essentially target a whole demographic and build a whole demographic for yourself in a foreign country. Very easy. Spotify has been cracking down on the VPN stuff over the last few years, just like Netflix did. But people still do this and people are very sophisticated in finding ways around this now. So a lot of artists have done this. There's two guys, I think, I forget what country they're from, but two guys in Eastern Europe 
who made a bunch of like minute, minute and a half long songs that were just like garbled instrumental random music. And they used a kind of situation and set up like this to make themselves over a million dollars because they streamed each song like whatever, a hundred million times. And I, to this day, I don't know if there's been any legal action taken against those guys. Obviously their music was taken down, but through their publishing entity, they still made money on the songs. You can't do that kind of thing anymore. This was maybe eight or nine years ago when this happened. But again, the amount of manipulation going on behind the scenes with streaming services wow. just blows blows my mind. And it, I don't think most people are even aware that that's happening. <laughs> no, I think it happens in the podcast world, too, because I swear there's some podcasts where I'm oh, like, yeah. I look and I'm like, okay, we had the same guest on. Your yeah. episode got like you know, 50,000 views and mine got like right. 500 and I'm like, and this is not, the host is not a famous person or anything. It's like, it's very right. suspicious. So like, yeah. Just wonder. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, it's fairly easy. The, the hardest thing to do, one of the hardest things historically is to fake it on YouTube. YouTube's algorithm for detecting those things is much more sophisticated than some of the other ones. They're starting to catch up, but uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And people are always going to find a way to game the system. That's just how it is. Whether you're talking about steroid use in professional sports or washing streams on Spotify, like this stuff happens and that's, that's how people get over. It's unfortunate, but that's the truth. So do you feel like you can just, you just have to, it makes you rise to the occasion and makes you uh, create better music that you feel like stands out. Sure. I mean, like at the end of the day, for me, the music has to be the thing because you can, pay all this extra money to, you know, get more attention heaped onto you. But if the product itself isn't good, people aren't going to stick around. People aren't going to care. You're going to get more negative attention. So, yeah, I mean, like I've been on a journey to be a better musician and a better songwriter since I started, you know, and I, I really started playing music and writing songs in like 2012. I'd played music before that and I had written stuff before that, but I started taking it much more serious in 2012. And 2016 was the year when I really like started touring and started putting together stuff to form like a body of work. And ever since then, I've started releasing, you know, not really consistently, but I started releasing music. And I've only in the last few years started releasing music more consistently and under my own name, because I think finally, after all those years of working and developing myself as a songwriter, I'm comfortable now releasing this stuff under my own name and having it be you know, a, a measure of, of who I am as an artist, really. What, what, uh, what was it called before? What, what was the name you had released under? Before? A bunch of different projects. There's uh, I've released, I think like four EPs under different names. One of them, the last one before I started doing this stuff with Trev was uh, SOS. I had a project in between that never came out because it was supposed to come out right around the time when, uh, when that new COVID expansion dropped, you feel me? So we, we didn't get to tour it. I had a, I had a South by Southwest spot. I had a, you know, limited Western European tour with like a, you know, a single debut show in London. I had all this stuff. That was more of like an indie rock project. But okay. sadly, I don't think I'll ever release most of those songs because they're not really congruent with what I'm doing right now. Maybe somewhere down the line, I'll release like a, a demos collection or something of that. Because oh. I had like a pretty much a whole record almost done. But um, yeah, I got tied up with a label that wasn't really the right move. And uh, yeah, it just didn't work out. 
So, but this stuff happens a lot. I think if you talk to any artist that's been around for a while, they probably have a really large body of work that most people will never hear that maybe they intended for people to hear at one time. So, yeah, no, I know. I just had uh, Kenny Olson. He's a kid rocks guitarist on. Yeah. And uh, I had uh, the singer. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was an Aerosmith tribute band called Aeromyth and the singer, Chris Van Dahl. He looks just like Steven Tyler, but oh, he wow. did an album with Kenny Olson. Kenny Olson left kid rock to do this album. It was called pack of wolves. And Chris wow. was telling me it's like amazing. And I, I was asking Kenny about it and he's like, yeah, it's, it's not out. Like you can't hear it. I'm like, I want to hear it. It sounds like it would be really cool. So, but yeah, yeah it, there's a lot of stories like that. You know, I have, uh, I had two songs that were up for sync that were both part of like the kind of indie folk, indie rock project. And uh, again, COVID just kind of smashed all of my hopes for doing that. But those are, to this day, two of the most requested songs that I get from people when, like, you know, managers are hitting me up or people hear the stuff through the grapevine and they're like, hey, whatever happened to this song? Did you ever record it? And I'm like, yeah, I did. But I mean, I don't know how people would react to me releasing like a, you know, an acoustic folk ballad that's like more like something you'd hear from Phoebe Bridgers than like what I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? It's like. There's not really any kind of overlap musically, but, you know, who knows, man, if people are really interested in hearing some of that stuff and, you know, you've built like a really big fan base that's diverse, I don't really see the harm in releasing those kinds of things. It's just like, it it comes down again, like if you're working with a label, it might be a little more difficult because they want everything kind of to, to tell a certain line. Whereas as an independent artist, you can pretty much do whatever you want, but if you're an independent artist trying to get with a label or some other type of situation where they really juice you up, then you kind of have to play that game a little bit and keep everything kind of between the lines, you know? Yeah, so. no, I, I think, yeah, I just speak as a fan. I would say I like when artists do different stuff. Like I know might not be the most popular, but guns and roses, the user illusions. I love that shit. And they have like acoustic, <laughs> singer songwriter stuff. And then they have like the, my world song that was like synth nine inch nail stuff. And they have heavy yep. and ballads. I love the mix. I love the eclectic stuff personally, but I understand what you're saying. Some sometimes yeah. management and label says, no, it's all got to be the same sound. Yeah. Right. I wish that people would just let artists be artists because no artist wants to be put into a box and make the same record over and over. You know, you talk to hundred different artists, 90 of them are going to be like, yeah, I just really don't want to make the same record over and over. You might get 10 if you're lucky that are like, yeah, I mean, we made a lot of money on that record. I'll just keep making it over and over. That's fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, that's usually too. That's usually like the drummer or the bass player, somebody that's just like rhythm guitar guy that's just yeah. kind of letting them do their thing and they're a part of it. But yeah, the person actually creating it, usually they don't want to keep creating the same thing. So no, you're, you know, you're constantly evolving as an artist and as a person. It's like what you like five years ago is probably vastly different than what you like now. And especially as you're writing and creating and getting better at what you're doing, it's, it's always going to be changing. So I like that too, though. I like seeing a, an artist that, you know, you kind of have learned what to expect from come out with something that just completely changes your opinion of what they're, they're capable of doing. I love that kind of stuff. Like one of my favorite modern bands for a long time now has been King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Cause every single record they put out is completely different. And it's all really good on its own, but it's disappointing for fans that get in on one record and they're like expecting, Oh, like that was a great thrash metal record. And then the next record is like an electronic weird synthy record. And they're like, what the hell is this? Like, it's not, it's not what I signed up for, you know? 
I'll have to check them out. What's it called again? King what? King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah, they're uh, they're pretty much like a staple in the kind of psych world right now. But um, they have so many different. I think they have like fifteen or sixteen studio albums at this point, and every one of them is very different. But they all have kind of the same Gizzard feel. You know what I mean? But yeah, they're a, they're a great psych rock band out of Australia. Okay. Yeah. What else are you listening to? Because the stuff you're releasing, it has a kind of more modern rock mm-hmm. feel that but it's also you said like psychedelic a little bit garage rock or stoner rock but i think it, it's it's more melodic i think yeah it's more melodic than that I, i'm just talking about like what i what i was doing before i had more of like a garage yeah with my good friend trevor william church who's big in the underground metal scene with his band haunt but um no i mean like in general the stuff i listen to i listen to a lot of garage a lot of psych music a lot of folk um and for the most part i mean like anything that's really like i like songs a lot of the modern music industry is obsessed with hey i'm i'm doing an interview man <laughs> who is it is anybody come, come back in 15 minutes somebody i'm at the studio right now love you too i'll see you soon um sorry <laughs> but uh um, wow. Yeah, that was random. But no, anyways, I, I really like um, songs. Most of the modern music industry is like, you know, they're like vibes. And it's like, cool, it's a great, it's a great vibe. But like, what's up with the song? Like, what'd you write it on? Do you write it on guitar? Do you write it on keyboard? Like, do you write it on saxophone? Can you sit there and play it for me and sing it just by yourself? You know what I mean? Like, that's really what it comes down to. And uh, I really appreciate it when it's when it's an actual song and not just like, 15 people that sat in a room together and like, like wrote something, you know what I mean? Cause that's what a lot of modern pop music is about. And it's like, if it's got, you know, 10 different writers on it, it's like, what are we, what are we doing here guys? You know? Well, and yeah. Isn't it a lot of that stuff written by the same people? Yeah. They're the same writing teams. I used to be before the pandemic started, I, I had started to kind of like carve out a niche for myself in the songwriting community as a lyrics guy. And so I'd be in a room with, you know, three or four other people, an artist would come in, you'd have a conversation with the artist, almost like a therapy session and talk to them about like what they're doing, what they're working on, what they're going through in their life. And then you'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. That's a cool idea. And then you'd take like a little idea, come up with like a melodic hook, fit some lyrics in there, and then just like, you know, whittle it down until it's, till it's something else. And I think there is a magic to that as well. But I just, I vastly prefer seeing, like, look, take somebody like Elliot Smith. Everybody. I love him. Of course, everybody that's a songwriter loves Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith didn't sit there in a room with 15 people. He sat in a room by himself, probably just sad as shit, and wrote a bunch of beautiful lyrics that you relate because they're coming from his heart. You know, I appreciate artists like that more than people that have been put together by like, you know, the, the, whatever the Hollywood machine or the, the music industry machine, like that, sure. There's value to like really catchy, you know, hooky songs, but like, I just appreciate it when it's, when it's a human being writing it, not a team, you know? So, but that said, yeah, I really love, uh, there's some, some great bands coming out right now. And like the psych and garage scene bands that I've been listening to for a long time too, that are doing new things. Um, going to see this Canadian band wine lips pretty soon. And I love them. If you're into like 
garage and punk and psych music. They're like, I think, in my opinion, one of the coolest you know, new bands. And they've been around for a while, but they're, again, they're kind of starting to break out a little bit, I feel like. Um, another one, Teen Mortgage, is really good. I think they're based out of D.C. And same thing. It's like a grittier, kind of more punk-inspired kind of garage psych aesthetic. But um, I'm a huge fan of like the, you know, the second wave of uh of psychedelic and garage rock that came out of kind of san francisco people like ty siegel and the ocs and some of those bands and so king gizzard kind of like continues that tradition out of australia with their own little spin on it so i would, would, you, be a, huh? would you be a good fit to tour with any of those bands not with my current style of music no but um like i said i did have a project short-lived project with my buddy trevor that i might continue in a spiritual way with with a different side project just for me, in which case I would go out and tour it with bands like that. If I could get on the same tour, that would be a dream come true. But with the current stuff that I'm doing with Trev, like you said, it's a more modern interpretation of some classic sounding rock. And I love it. That stuff is close to my heart as well. Like I listened to a lot of grunge and alternative music growing up in the early nineties and whatnot. And we tried to bring all of those inspirations forth on you know this record that we did together and i'm really proud of the music i've just been sitting on it for you know a few years now like dealing with different managers that had different plans for things and failed label deals and stuff and now i'm at the place where it's like i'm just releasing this stuff doesn't matter how it does i just want to get it out and let people hear it and the the right people will hear it and eventually something's gonna happen you know yeah, would you tour like I think did you uh did you tour with Collective Soul? Like is this this would be a good fit for them. I feel like that yeah. would be a good package. For sure. I know those guys really well. And I, I opened for them uh God, what was it, twenty eighteen, I think. Um I I opened for them on a pretty big tour that year and we had a good time and all those guys are great. Um but yeah, I, I think you're right. Like uh getting on with a like a more kind of nineties oriented band would be really cool. Um but as it stands, like we're working on getting the right booking agent. You know, I was working with a booking agency for a while that wasn't really doing much with me because again, I'm not like a huge artist or something, but I got, I got hope for the future that things will move in the right direction. Cause again, it all comes back to the music and this is objectively good music. So yeah. Well, well and also like some of the connections and stuff too, like, are you, uh, are you, so you're friends with Trev. Um, cause I think I had the band, I don't, are you familiar with the band slaves to humanity? Cause that's like an yep. LA band. Yeah. yeah. So like, like those guys and stuff. Like I would, it'd be cool to see like you tour with like them and like, yeah. like, uh, they did a show with Butterside, which I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I'm like, why can't we get some of these bands together and tour? That's like what I was saying earlier. Like if there was a way to make it financially make sense, I would love to yeah. see something like that where it's like, you know, three or four bands, but I know, I know that it's like with the money and stuff, it's hard to get all that yeah. stuff together. Yeah. But no, yeah, I've actually talked to some of the guys from um, Slaves of Humanity because Trev produced a couple tracks for them as well. And um, they're really cool guys. They're young kids that are like really hungry to get out there and do it. And I really admire what they've been doing already. You know, they've already got a pretty decent little amount of traction with, uh, you know, just the local like Southern California circuit. They've been playing at uh, with the House of Blues and all these other bigger venues, which is awesome. And uh, a lot of cool stuff in L.A., and yeah, like we've, we've talked about playing shows together and I would totally be down to play shows with them. It's just a matter of, again, f- finding something that would work for everybody. So I'm yeah. totally, you know, well, I'm only in Phoenix. So if you didn't tour, maybe I just drive. <laughs> they, they did a show and it was like, 
it was Butterside, uh, Slaves Humanity, and, and Violet Saturn. I was like, oh, I, I've had members of all three of those bands on my show. I was like, I want to come to the show, but couldn't make it. So maybe the next one, I don't know, maybe you can jump on and do it. That'd be, I think it'd be fun. Would love to. Like the Viper Room ever? Uh, I've never played the Viper Room. I've been to plenty of shows there, though. I was, uh, I was on a different circuit in LA. You know, there's a couple different circuits, but I was playing um, monthly review shows. I had like a residency at the Hotel Cafe played gold diggers a lot, you know, Canyon club, all that stuff. But, uh, I didn't really play the Viper room or any of those kind of more rock shows in LA. Cause I was doing a different kind of thing, different kind of sure. music. Yeah. But yeah. But now you're doing the, the rock. So, I mean, like it's a, it would be a good fit. It'd be cool. For sure. Yeah. Shout out to like dirty Mondays. They're doing some cool stuff at the Viper room and Madame Siam. Um, we were supposed to play a show for them and there were some weird complications that happened, um, on our side of things and we couldn't make the show, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing a show with them pretty soon. So we'll probably yeah. not. So the singles that are out now, you said there's a full album, so there's going to be more coming? Yeah, there's a lot more coming. Um, I'm probably going to split the album into two EPs because it just doesn't make sense to release okay. a full record right now. Again, without you know a label push or a little bit more significant kind of capital contribution, it just doesn't make sense to do it. But um, I've been releasing singles pretty steadily now from the record, and I the plan is to release the first EP in June. I haven't set a hard release date yet, or I haven't announced it yet, at least. But um, we do have another single coming to kind of uh, bookend that. And I think this is going to be a really fun song for people that have been paying attention to what I'm doing. It's kind of like Red Light Appetite Part 2. It's a big bombastic rock and roll anthem that I think people will really enjoy. And there will be a music video for it as well. So okay, right yeah. now, yeah, we just put out Systematic Minds, which is my favorite song on the record. It's more of a slower tempo, like mysterious, almost, uh, you know, Duran Duran-ish kind of vibes. Really cool. Um, and like I said, slightly psychedelic in, in parts. Um, and it's the first song Trev and I, ever worked on together back in December of 2020. So it's really, really exciting for me to finally get this out because since we like literally since maybe 15 minutes into us sitting there and writing together, I was like, Oh, this is sick. Like you just know, like it's a good one, you know? So I'm really, yeah, that, one's, Mine's. <laughs> that one's really cool. The red light appetite is cool. And then um, there's judgment day is available in the cold life karma. Tell me about yeah. cold life karma. Just cause I'm, I'm just curious what that's about. Cause that lyric, like, Cold life karma, you can't run from a cold hard fact. Cold life karma is at your back. Like, that's kind of a cool lyric. Uh, that song was about somebody or something that I had dealt with that had stabbed me in the back kind of significantly uh, in my music career. And uh, we wrote that. That actually came out of some sessions where I was writing music for other people with my now guitar player, Joey Ariema, who's a fantastic songwriter and producer as well. Joey produced that song. Um, and like I said, we were part of a team writing for sync stuff and we were writing some stuff for sync briefs, which are like these little sheets that come out that sync managers get. It's basically like, um, like a little like mysterious enigmatic block of stuff. They're like, okay, like there's a TV show that's going to be on Amazon prime that needs a song. And then it has like vague keywords and themes that they want you to write about. And uh, we were writing some stuff for other artists for sync projects. And out of that, we kind of got an idea for cold knife. And then we just kind of took that. We're like, yeah, we're not going to use that for sync. I'm just going to use that for me. And uh, yeah. And Joey and I put it together. Um, 
during the pandemic because we had done a demo for it prior to that starting and then everything just kind of like you know went off the rails and we came back to it later and um the lyrics changed a little bit because obviously my perspective on that event that i'm writing about had changed after uh time more time had passed you know but yeah just in general i love that song because it's very uh applicable to a lot of things in people's lives just in general like i'm not going to sit here and say exactly what it is because again i i want people to put whatever meaning they have on the song for themselves and not be colored by my meaning but when i wrote that song i was definitely not too happy about someone or something in my life that i felt like i could trust and that i found out i could not trust so that's got to be nice as a musician to be able to have that uh outlet to be able to kind of like release those emotions in a healthy way totally it's therapeutic i'm all about releasing the negative emotions that are piled on you by the world in a in a healthy way whether like that's how i found martial arts it was a means to express some of the darker energy i had inside of me in a positive way that was therapeutic and allowed me to you know get physically fit and mentally fit and all these things but songwriting is just like that as well it's an outlet for people that not only can be like a positive force in the universe but can provide connection as well which i think is ultimately one of the the best things you can do as a human being is just connect with other people. Yeah. I think it's cool just as a fan to listen to songs like that and just be able to connect with the song emotionally. Um, God, you know, it's funny, actually the, the, the uh, mammoth song, I, that song distance is like, I mean, it almost makes me cry when I hear that song. It's so powerful. I'm like, wow, this song is really good. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful song. And I mean, like Wolfie's a great songwriter and a great artist as well. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, are you, uh, speak, we were talking about TV shows. Are uh, you're going to be on some TV show family legacy? Is that, or is that out? Yeah, it came out last week. Um, it's on Paramount plus it's streaming. Our episode is available for free on YouTube and Paramount plus for anybody that wants to watch it. It's called MTV's family legacy. And, uh, it's a show I shot last September. I think I did about seven hours of interview and, um, yeah, we got a, we got a pretty funny little 15 minute segment on on the episode. It's cool though. They, they basically interviewed a bunch of, you know, second generation kids of famous, uh, MTV adjacent, like pop and rock and roll stars. Um, and it was cool. It turned out well, it, it turned into a show basically just about, uh, MTV old MTV archival clips. So like our episode, for instance, they have a lot of footage of me, like watching the VMAs, you know, my dad won the VMA for right now and some other stuff and some of the old music video clips and, yeah, it was it was just a fun little project, but they synced uh, Red Light Appetite and the music video as well. They licensed, so that's cool. Got a little bump in streams from that, and some extra traction and engagement on social media. It was, you know, it was a fun project to be a part of. Yeah, so that I'm gonna have to check that out. I have Paramount Plus, and then um, you also you got to be a DJ on the Aussie's Boneyard. Was that fun? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, my buddy Tommy London hit me up and asked me if I wanted to be a guest DJ. I'm a huge old school metal fan and like growing up, I was a huge metal head. So it was cool to put together just a, a few tracks. I put together some like probably more typical stuff that people would hear. And then a couple deeper cuts that I thought were kind of funny stuff from like this silly, you know, eighties hair metal band, uh, Grim Reaper and, you know, some other Oh stuff. yeah. I had that guy yeah. on my show. Oh yeah. No way. Yeah. I yeah. He that. actually is sad. He passed away recently, oh, but okay. That's a yeah. Problem. 
Daddy yeah, Pinocchio. I, I, I got into him and I was like, this stuff's actually like pretty cool. Like it's melodic and because uh, they made fun of it on Beavis and Butthead. But I, but if you do a deep dive, it's actually pretty good music. It's actually pretty good music as far as metal goes, that that era of metal. And uh, yeah, I just remember like I growing up, I was friends with a lot of like skaters and pro skaters and shit. And we would sit around and like, you know, get stoned and watch skate videos. And I just remember seeing like CKY. Uh, which at the time was a pretty pretty big one for us. And in one of them, there's a really funny clip of like Don Vito. Roll, I think he was rolling around on like a a mower or something, and they're playing "See You in Hell" by Grim Reaper, and it was just like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. So that song and that band really stuck out to me, and so I put it in on the, on the Aussie's Boneyard playlist. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was entertaining. <laughs> That's very cool. And then you are, now you did um, you've done the the Rock Legends cruise in the past, and then you're you're scheduled for some in 2024 also right yeah i did it uh acoustically just by myself i had my brother come up and sing some stuff with me too back in 2018 and uh in february of next year i'll be doing it again with my full band playing the newer stuff so it's going to be a tremendously different experience for the people of the cruise and i'm really excited to do it because it was a lot of fun the first time too yeah and that's like a good thing that's like it's profitable right they pay you to come on and they pay for you to stay and everything and oh yeah yeah, that's really cool. Do you have any other shows lined up uh, right now? Uh, right now, we have a couple of dates over the summer that I'll be announcing soon. And uh, we're looking at doing something more substantial in the fall, uh, which, again, I haven't announced any of that stuff yet. But there will be more dates coming. It's just, like I said before, a matter of finding the right thing, um, which I think we we have found. So I'm really, really looking forward to getting out there again and touring with the band instead of just me and a guitar player just being my harmonica and guitar. <laughs> so how many people you, will you be doing a, like rhythm and guitar then? Yeah. Some songs. Uh, the song, the, the shows that we've played so far with the band, I'm just singing my, my guitar player, Joe Ariema is holding it down. Uh, got Greg cash on bass. He's just an incredible musician. And then uh, our boy, Devin Lebsack, the sack uh, on drums. And he's a, old school metal guy that's just a powerhouse behind the kids. So, you know, between the four of us, we got a lot of energy up there on stage and moving forward, I'm probably going to be playing a little rhythm guitar on some of the songs as well. But um, as it stands now, it's, it's a really fun show up there. We've gotten nothing but great feedback from all the shows that we've played. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm enjoying the music that I've heard so far. So I look forward to hearing new music and uh, hopefully being able to somehow catch a show, even if it means I got to drive somewhere. (laughs) We'll be back in Phoenix. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. And then I always end promoting a charity. I know you're a big advocate of uh, mental health. So I don't know if there's a mental health charity you want to shout out here or something else. Yeah. Um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, they do great work. Um, I've had a, a profound impact in my life from unfortunate situations with friends that have committed suicide. So I'm a big advocate for getting help, talking to somebody resources are available. And I think the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention does a great job of uh, providing options for people in education. Um, But just in general, yeah, that's like part of the reason why I started playing music was uh, a good buddy of mine committed suicide. So helping to change the narrative on that and educate people as to their options, I think is a, is a huge part of my mission in life and in music. Yeah, it's it sucks because like uh yeah, I mean I, I'm a big advocate of mental health myself. I was a counselor for 17 years actually, and I, wow. I remember in the 90s it was like anything mental health it was like a stigma. Like if you went to therapy or counseling, like oh you're you're crazy, there's something wrong with you, and it's like I think they've done a, a lot better job of 
kind of destigmatizing that, but there's still people that are just, especially men, I feel like are ashamed to seek help. It's like a weakness or something. So, yeah. 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 I, I agree completely. And I, I'm happy that we're living in a time where the conversation is changing. It's becoming destigmatized. And, you know, just in general, it's becoming more widespread that men are talking about their feelings and their struggles with mental health and the narrative is changing. I think that's a beautiful thing. Any opportunity I can get to bring a little bit more awareness to that and help change a narrative is, you know, a, a really good thing in my opinion. Yeah. So. I think it's just like the way society has gone. I feel like mental health, it's, it's like we had to do this because I feel like people's mental health is, is struggling. I mean, you're seeing it in the news and the media and stuff. I mean, you're seeing the worst of, of people's mental health and it's like, but I think a lot of people are struggling that are silent, that are just si uh, struggling in silence that aren't posting it on social media or, or acting out in some, in some way, like, and then, so, uh, you know, these kinds of resources and things and educating, I think just going on YouTube and just, uh, you can just type in questions and things, or, uh, there's a podcast I listen to called the mindset mentor. That's like, it's been extremely valuable to me more, more so than the counseling education I had, like yeah. so things like that can be, uh, that's a, that's a good thing about the way the world is with YouTube and all the podcasts and social media and stuff. There's, yeah. there's a lot of resources out there. So access yeah that's the biggest thing that needs to change you know but the access to the information is is getting a lot better so that's step one right <laughs> yeah absolutely well thanks so much yeah. for doing this i appreciate it and yeah, i'll put all the links absolutely. in the show notes so thanks so much for, uh, for doing this i'll see have you later much chuck have a good one yeah all right see you later Bye bye all right my thanks again to andrew hagar i really enjoyed that chat i hope you guys did too check out andrew's music on streaming or download it and uh catch a live show if he's in your town and of course, follow him on social media, like, comment, share, all that stuff. You guys know the drill. And you can do the same to support the podcast. And also make sure you're subscribed to the show on YouTube specifically because I'm going to be posting a lot of YouTube exclusive content on there. It's going to be short videos about interesting topics. It's going to be somewhat related to things I discussed with my guests on the podcast. Uh, so I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, I appreciate all your support. Have a great rest of your day and shoot for the moon.